WrestlePlug 444 Life. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to hashtag get plugged in. The refreshing, empowering moment that we have all wanted from WWE. It's like ordering a, a medium pizza and then turning up with an extra large and a bottle of Coke. You absolute moldy cheese fucking baby bell dairy lead dunker shit. What happens is these fucking people live in this fantasy land. Everyone got their shit in. Everyone got each other over. Everyone looked good and made the industry look great. People need to fucking back the fuck off Ronda Rousey. New to oh. wrestling talent. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to the WrestleBlog Podcast. It's time to discuss WWE Clash of Champions. I'm your host, Aaron Nix. I'm running solo this week. Carl Wilkinson is back in the saddle at work, earning himself some coins. So I'm left to my own devices, right here, right now. Uh, Clash of Champions, you might have heard that it's the one night of the year where every match is a title match. You may just have heard that. Seriously, that shit's on a par with... I'm Britt Baker. Did you know I'm a dentist? I don't give a shit, darling. <laughs> just saying. Um, Clash of Champions. Right, man. Let's get straight into this bad boy. So, I gotta be honest. Uh, during a preview in last week's State of Wrestling Address, which of course is our weekly podcast for you guys who will know, or who are in the know, I felt that this was a tale of two halves. You know, half of this card was matches we've seen way too many times before, and the other half of it was matches that had the potential to blow us away. Um, and so that proved to be the case, at least in my opinion. So let's get right to it. Uh, on the pre-show, the Tag Team Championships were on the land. The WWE SmackDown Tag Team Championships, it should be said. Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura uh, successfully defended their titles against Lucha House Party. Nothing wrong with this match, but here's the problem. Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura are amazing in-ring talents, great workers, guys that you can rely on to have high-quality athletic contests. But they are fucking boring, okay? (laughs) I'm not going to jump on this bandwagon just because it's really funny with WWE fans, right? Because most of them who are massive apologists, who are brand loyalists, the ones who, you know, only support WWE and won't watch anything else, their biggest knock of other products is, oh yeah, well, they don't know how to entertain. And yet, they all seem obsessed with trying to get guys like Cesaro and Nakamura to be pushed to these main event levels. And yet, they're not natural-born entertainers. They're just good technicians, good strikers, whatever that may be. Um, I, I, one thing I will say about Cesaro, I think he's streets ahead of Nakamura, at least in a WWE context, and a lot of that helps when you've been there for a lot longer than he has. But I, you know, I've said it many times in this podcast. I'm not going to beat a dead horse too much here. They're tedious, and I think this is their ceiling as tag team champions. Lou Charles Party, right? Fun, good look, but very low ceiling again. And one of the things they really suffer from is they have no personalities at all. Not because they don't have charisma, because I believe they do. 
they have that Latin flair about them as well, and, you know, Latins are so hot-blooded and so passionate, and they're perfect for wrestling, as we know. You know, look at the heritage, especially Mexico. You know, Mexico has given us so much in what we look at from a historic context for wrestling, and yet... These three guys, you know, they're covered in glitter, they're chucked behind masks, they rarely get an opportunity to chat or talk, and when they do cut promos, it's normally just that really bland, bullshit, childlike, lucha, lucha, yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, nah, nah man, not feeling that shit, it's, it's weak, it's weak is what it is, so... That makes for a bad cocktail, and especially when it's stuck on the pre-show. That being said, the opener to the show proper was the Triple Threat ladder match for the WWE Intercontinental Championship. Sami Zayn, Jeff Hardy, and AJ Styles. Jeff Hardy, of course, defending his championship proper, although both belts were suspended high above the ring, which I liked. I thought that was a nice little touch. Sami Zayn, of course, has been adamant coming into this that he's still the champion because he never lost it. Obviously, he took a hiatus due to the coronavirus. Coronavirus! So, here we are. Um... This was a fucking car crash, as you would expect it to be. I see Jeff Hardy, I see Lana Match, I think Jeff's going to try and kill himself. He's 43, we got the mandatory swanton bomb through the ladder. Sami Zayn, I don't know how he's still alive after that spot. Jeff Hardy, like, Jesus Christ. Like, if there's one guy who should be exempt when it comes to the wellness policy, I think Jeff's kind of earned that, right? (laughs) I really do, like, fucking get that man some weed, motherfucker, he, he deserves the chill. Uh, this match was fantastic. I can't find fault in this match whatsoever. One thing I loved about it was, because we've seen iterations of this already, and my worry was that this would be a good match, but it would be too samey-samey, and we would see a lot of the spots that we've seen before, and also, I must admit, so the first five minutes of this match, one feeling it, a lot of the typical tropes of a ladder match. I get so fucking bored with this. Oh, it takes me 10 minutes to set up the ladder and then climb up it super slowly because all of a sudden I've got muscular dystrophy. Like, nah, man. But, that being said, after that, once they got a lot of that nonsense out of the way and really started digging into the storytelling aspect and the real car crash aspect, it had everything you wanted. It was hardcore. It was dangerous. But it had more storytelling than a lot of these matches have, and that's something I really fucking appreciate. It wasn't just sheer car crash spectacular spots. AJ Styles, unsurprisingly, the glue in the middle of the match. Now, that's not to say Jeff Hardy and Sami Zayn can't work very fucking well without an AJ Styles around, because they can. This is one of those times where AJ Styles probably thinking, how nice, I can actually just do my thing and not have to carry everybody else. That being said, it he just gelled everything together so well. There was a fluidity to this match. There was so many different aspects. So I love how Sami Zayn was willing to go to incredible lengths to ensure a victory here and that's exactly what happened which is amazing like i honestly thought Sami Zayn would have been the last person to win this match and that's great because that's something that's unpredictable it's something that i wasn't expecting and wwe for a long time now particularly in this modern era has struggled to give us anything exciting and organic and yet here they gave us that I love the ending to this match, the handcuffs, when they got involved. And the great thing was, it wasn't just straightforward. It wasn't, I'm just going to handcuff you and we're done. No, like, so, poor Jeff Hardy, like, taking a 
<coughs> Sami Zayn taking a page out of uh, Randy Orton's playbook. Going straight for the earlobe. Oh, that's fucking, that's gnarly shit. Like, I'm very, I don't, you know, I don't have piercings or anything, but holy shit, man. Like, I know it's obviously, you know, done a certain way. And it's obviously, you know, it's not going to hurt him that much. But still, it's just such a gnarly image. Because it's not something we're used to ever seeing in wrestling. And I think it's fucking cool. I really do. It's twice now they've used Jeff Hardy's ear as a kind of plot device for a more violent mechanism and a gimmick match. And, you know, Sami Zayn putting the handcuff, one of the handcuffs through his ear, locking it, and then locking him to that ladder was an absolutely genius touch. But the real, real measure of genius was the other stuff with AJ Styles, the use of the handcuffs with him. Because, obviously, he goes to handcuff him, AJ Styles kind of counters it initially. Um, but then there's this phenomenal thing where Styles is like, right, I'm going to climb the ladder, fuck you. And then, you know there's that brilliant moment where he's kind of got him down doesn't realize that he's handcuffed him he's like done it subtly like a magician it was really cool like a slight hand thing and the camera work was really good with this because they made sure you didn't see it so aj goes all right fuck you goes you know pulls away and he's like what the shit and he's locked up and i thought that was really clever i thought it was really smart i loved it um absolutely brilliant storytelling and then to get on the ladder and stars is like trying to drag him up and then Sami Zayn's able to kind of slip out, lock him into the ladder, then climb up, and Styles is like, no, no, like, he's, and they both gotta watch as this shit-eating heel prick climbs the ladder and captures the Intercontinental Championship proper. Be interesting to see whether he carries around both belts or just reverts to one. I like the idea of him just walking around going, I'm the Intercontinental Champion, twice! <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's good stuff. It is, and the one thing that I had as a question mark was, was Sami Zayn going to perform to the same levels that we all know he can at his maximum? Because he hasn't really wrestled properly for some time. And even in his last run, it seemed to be that he was kind of just dancing around a lot while uh, Cesaro and Nakamura were doing the majority of the work. And then, you know, he would kind of sort of every now and then jump in and maybe do a halluva kick. But he put in a hell of a shift in this match. All three guys did. Great way to start the show proper. Four stars for me out of five. We don't do the whole six, seven, eight star bollocks. I was not interested in that. Definitely four out of five for me. I thought this was brilliant. Um, instant classic. Hard to say. Subjective, isn't it? For me, a excellent ladder match. Not a world-class one, but an excellent one. With a world-class storytelling aspect aspect at the end. That's why I've given it four. But yeah, I mean, you've got to be special to be five-star. Like, I don't just hand that out willy-nilly. <laughs> like Mr. Meltzer, who, by the way, has handed out... Apparently, I've heard this, Nick Jackson apparently has been in more five-star matches. Five-star plus. Or, or is it four and a half? I can't remember. I think it might be four and a half. Either way, he's been in more high-rated matches than any other wrestler in history. What does that tell you about Meltzer? It's a bit embarrassing, isn't it? Because if you're going to sit there and tell me that Nick Jackson has consistently had better matches than any other wrestler in history, well, I'll smack you in the fucking face. (laughs) Simple as that, really. Uh, Asuka took on Zelina Vega for the Raw Women's Championship. This was a weird match. I was excited about this because it's not only is it a fresh opponent, and this, this of course, was moved from the pre-show due to the fact that we didn't get a women's tag team championship match. No real reason yet as to why that is the case, but they 
pulled that match away and, well, on the plus side, Liv Morgan updated her Instagram with a scintillating photo, so that was good enough for me. But, yeah, Asuka uh, defended her championship against Zelina Vega. I, I never felt like Zelina Vega was ever going to win. One thing I liked about this match, it wasn't a classic by any means. It, it did feel like mid-card filler for the most part. But the one thing I really loved about it was the way that Asuka was kind of toying with her, you know. Playing with her food is something that I saw Carl Wilkinson tweet, um, which was very, yeah, I agreed with that. It was very, for lack of a better term, predatory in its way. And I don't mean that in a evil, sadistic manner. I mean in a more sort of hunting prowess, you know, that kind of mentality of stalking your prey. Maybe it does sound much either, you know. Maybe you just can't get away from it. But either way, it was it was a decent match. But it was quite short. It was about seven minutes long. In fact, it was. I think it was seven minutes and five seconds. Yep, just checking the Wikipedia page. Because we do our fucking work here. Uh, yeah, just a little bit short for me. But that being said, I have said this before. You don't need to have 30, 40-minute matches to have a classic, to have a great match. It was a good match. I like the endings. Zelina Vega, um, sort of, you know, she bowed to her instead of shaking her and you thought, oh, that's really nice. And then, boom, keeping that heel heat. Getting that cheap shot in on her. Brilliant stuff. Continues that storyline, which is really useful. Because they seem to be a little bit short-handed when it comes to women's wrestlers at the moment. At least on the main roster. Particularly with, obviously, Sasha Banks and Bailey kind of really dominating the main event schedule over on the blue brand. Um, the next match, I could not give a shit about. i got to be honest, I didn't really pay much attention to it. It was in the background while I was doodling away, making a, a little bit of art for this podcast, which obviously you'll be able to see on the promotional shots and our social media. And if you do like it, feel free to follow me at Aaron Nix Design. Aaron is spelled A-E-R-O-N. Aaron Nix, N-I-X, Design. Uh, on all social media platforms. Yeah, I... I don't care. I'm glad that Bobby Lashley retains. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Apollo Crews is a very good athlete, but he has the charisma and the presentation of a chewed-up Maltese. I do not give a shit. He's so fucking boring. And he's he's there with someone like... um, Well, he reminds me of Cesaro Nakamura in a lot of ways. There's nothing wrong with his in-ring credentials, but I don't watch WWE because I want to see great flippy amateur wrestling or you know gymnastic star wrestling or good indie star wrestling i watch wwe because i want a blend of everything it's supposed to be an entertainment platform and i've accepted that now am i happy about the fact that wwe is you know more concerned with entertaining than wrestling not necessarily but at the same time i have plenty of other options and i think a lot of wwe fans would do well to be reminded of that when they keep whinging about the whole entertainment aspect. It's like, there are other options. AEW, which seems to be going down that route as well. But there's NJPW, there's Ring of Honor, there's Impact Wrestling. There's all kinds of different things. There is something for everybody if you're willing to pull your thumb out of your ass and look. And that's the biggest problem. Most people aren't. Um, Bobby Lashley beats Apollo Crews. I don't care. <laughs> it is what it is. Um, another match I don't care about is the Street Profits. <clears throat> they beat... Andrade and Angel Garza again like they've beaten them like eight or nine times they even said on the pre-show like you know we're high quality they just make excuses you know we're thinking about championship rings and they're thinking about onion rings or whatever it was I don't know sorry I wasn't paying that much attention um because, you know, anything that's got JBL on it, I'm not really going to pay attention to or respect nor when he's got a giant potato like Pete Rosenberg sitting next to him 
Although he does seem like a nice guy, Rosenberg, so I'll cut him a little bit of slack. Charlie Caruso is always nice to look at, also that much. And Booker T's a legend. But fuck the pre-show, I haven't got time for that, man. Also, I was watching the Miami Heat tonight, so yeah. Probably not a good thing to admit on this podcast, really, is it? But I was more concerned about my basketball team making their way to the NBA Finals, which, of course, they have. Uh, soon to be probably utterly demolished in the anus by the LA Lakers, but we'll give it a crack. Um, so, yeah, the Street Profits won over them. Now, this match was good. It was fast-paced. It was athletic, but I've seen all of it before. Uh, Angel Garza picked up an injury, a legit shoot injury, apparently, during this match as well. I've just found out, which would have... Um, really contributed to it and I understand that uh, this was all kind of mid-card filler these three matches they were just kind of there but these are all matches that I feel like you could have had on TV you could have had a real NXT TakeOver style card here where you could have had just five matches which were world class and instead in classic WWE fashion although the pay-per-view wasn't too long you know it was about two and a half three hours you know you still felt like it could have had the fat trimmed and that says a lot about it but on the plus side at least it's not in front of crowds where they're forcing us to watch like four or five hour you know pay-per-view extravaganzas with two hour pre-shows like we're actually quite blessed at the moment it's it's easy to take in it's easy to digest so street profits are still tag team champions that's the right choice they're the best tag team they have right now especially as the usos are obviously you know separated and doing their thing on smackdown as we're about to talk about and yeah i just feel that there's not really much else going in that tag team division. That's not entirely WWE's fault either. Viking Raiders, obviously they've been injured. Breeze Ango, they sent them uh, back down to NXT and they're tag team champions down there now. And the ironic thing is they could probably really do with them uh, right now. And if you look at the SmackDown side of things, they've got the New Day over on SmackDown, but Big E's branching out as a singles wrestler. They really have made it very clear here that they don't give a fuck about tag team wrestling. So they can think themselves lucky they got the Street Profits. And I will reiterate this point, as I do on every podcast, Montez Ford could legitimately be the biggest thing WWE has within a matter of months. They really could. And when I saw him hooking up with Angel Garza in the ring, I thought this has the potential to be your future WWE WrestleMania main event. I really do. I believe that. I believe those two guys really have that potential. And I'm starting to really warm up to Dawkins as well. I feel like he's putting a lot of work to get himself on par. And, you know, he's he's got a great house of fire as well. There's a lot of things going on. I love Andrade as well, but I feel like he really suffers from not having Zelina Vega alongside him. Not from a wrestling standpoint, um, just because she's able to articulate his story a bit better. Uh, Asuka defeated Bailey by disqualification. And you'll be wondering, wait a minute, what the fuck happened there, Nikki Cross? Uh, Nikki Cross wasn't available. Um, I don't know whether this is COVID-19 related or maybe it's just a sudden injury has struck, but Nikki Cross was not fit to challenge for the SmackDown Women's Championship. So Bailey comes out, goes, open challenge. Nah, just kidding. Ring the fucking bell ref. Great heel work as per usual. She, apparently Vince McMahon is mega high on Bailey, And that shows because everything she does right now seems to be gold. And she seems to be given the platform to do that too. Uh, so Asuka comes down to challenge her. And after about three minutes, Bailey thinks, ah, oh, fuck it, I'm in over my head here. I'm just going to twat her with a chair and get disqualified and bug her off. Um, but before she can do, Sasha Banks blindsides her, which is what we thought might happen anyway. Luckily, not during the title match, which is nice. Sasha still had her net brace on. Uh, it got pretty violent. Um, 
you know, kendo sticks involved and stuff like that. And eventually Bailey manages to get out of Dodge before she takes any serious damage. And we've got this great image. But this is one thing that's good about this. It's all great filler for what will be ultimately the incredible showdown of these two. Which I'm hoping is going to be a slow burn, a slow build. Possibly with Sasha Banks winning the Royal Rumble and going on to WrestleMania as one of the big matches there. Where those two can have an absolute four or five star classic like they did at NXT TakeOver Brooklyn. I like it. There's nothing wrong here. And very cool that Asuka got to put, you know. That's probably why, actually, in retrospect, Asuka and Zelina Vega was a little bit shorter. Because they thought, well, Asuka's going to have to go out there and do a double shift, but... You know, luckily Asuka, when you look at it actually, if you combine both times from Asuka's matches, she's still only wrestled for 10 minutes, and I bet Asuka would probably be happy to wrestle for 2 hours if you asked her, because she's just fucking incredible, she's the workhorse, as always, she gets the best match out of everyone. Two title matches left, penultimate match, Drew McIntyre versus Randy Orton in an ambulance match, I had finally settled it within myself, that Drew McIntyre was going to drop the belt. I don't know why I thought he was going to do it at Clash of Champions. And then I noticed that this match was on before the Universal title. And I thought, hmm, maybe not. I don't know. Either way, I was curious to see what they were going to do with it. This didn't fucking disappoint at all. I don't know what it is, but WWE's ambulance matches are always fucking great. Do you know, I remember Kane versus... um. Kane versus Shane McMahon, I'm thinking, oh god, this is going to be fucking terrible, and it was fucking great, Unforgiven 2003, I think, uh, even Ryback versus Cena, Hamlet's match was pretty decent, you know, uh, Roman Reigns versus Braun Strowman is one of my personal favourites, and this one, right up there, if not the best one, so good, so, so good, entertaining, um, a little bit of dark humour in there as well, but also incredibly violent. Randy Orton has been on this amazing streak lately. He's just, I would argue this has been his best period since the Legend Killer of 2003-2004. I really believe that. I think he's just been so motivated. His promo work has been lights out. He's the best heel in the company by some margin. Uh, especially on the male side of things. And... I just, I've loved his work. He's built an incredible body of work over the last year. It's It's been phenomenal. I'm really impressed with what Randy Orton has done. Drew McIntyre, once again, this, giving him the victory here, when I didn't think he was going to win as well, really helps cement him just that little bit more and that run that he's had. And it's great to know that when it's all said and done and when he does eventually drop it, which will most likely be in a rematch to Lesnar, no invincible man, probably at next year's Mania, it's very fucking cool to know that he has some really credible and exciting wins on his record. Not only from when he won it off of Lesnar, but also these two really high-quality matches against Randy Orton. And he's done a lot of good work in between as well. The storytelling of this match was fucking brilliant. Every single one of Orton's victims coming back to haunt him. And this is how you should do it. And they don't do this enough. The heel properly gets the retribution well the, the face gets the retribution and the heel gets what he deserves he gets what he fucking deserves in the end which is it's phenomenal christian attacking him backstage when that hand came out and grabbed around your sack i'm like what the fuck is that what's going on like because it was really early in the match as well it was brilliant every time you felt like orton was going to fully take control and end this match 
all of a sudden one of these legends would turn up and it was just, it was brilliant um i do see some people's points i saw people moaning on social media saying that this is a uh, this is buried drew max i doesn't buried him at all i totally get this because it's the comeuppance and people want to see the comeuppance and a young fan watching this will probably be like oh you hate randy Orton, he's gone blah 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 and watching this will have made that much better for you as a fan but you know i i do understand that the deck was very much stacked against randy orton in so many ways it, it did seem a little bit like well hang about like four different people have interjected here to help you out um but at the same time i'm willing to give to forgive that and they were very well used within the plot device and i thought the match was really good it was fluid it was really violent there was some great imagery as well drew mcintyre forcing his way back out in the ambulance and uh, i loved it thought this was fantastic thought this was the second four star match of the night i thought it was magnificent storytelling and when you've got uh, an ambulance match like this a gimmick match like this you worry that they're going to use that as a crutch that they're going to use that to kind of hide you know their abilities to actually wrestle and they didn't there was plenty of everything and the fact that drew finished him off with this whopping great pun as if to say you know have a taste of your own medicine you little shit bag I, I loved it thought it was absolutely phenomenal really fun really enjoyable and yeah man you you kind of have to respect that you do um i thought this was a fantastic match for the WWE title and i'm actually really thrilled that drew mcintyre has retained because I feel like he has deserved it. And it's fucking hard to be told. Hey you're going to be the guy. But you're going to be the guy. When no fans can be there to see it. They've all got to watch from home. You've got to be that guy who goes out and entertains. And goes at 100 miles an hour. But you can only do it. You know. <laughs> in these tiny. Or very contrived arenas where there is no kind of fan interaction and that must be so difficult the main event is what i want to talk about most roman reigns defending his universal title against Joe uzo with paul Heyman, obviously at ringside i was ready for this match i was excited and then i watched the promo before it and i was just amped uh i've got two hot takes this is my first one that video promo that they had before this match, you know, when they kept uh, replaying the footage of them as kids, and there was that moment where, you know, they slowed it down, and then they started it and finished it with the same clip, you know, when they're talking to each other as kids, and they're talking to each other in their real names, you know, and they just, they kind of break down at fourth wall a little bit, and they built this rivalry. My hot take is, I think this promo is, this video promo is up there as one of the greatest video vignettes I think they've ever done. I really believe that. You know, it's not just me living in the moment. I thought it was fucking incredible. I really did. It drew me right in. And that's what WWE does better than anybody else. Is those video packages and the way they tell a story. When they get it on point, they draw you in like no one else. Absolutely amazing. And then the match happens. And I'm sitting there and there's still a little bit of me. That smarky subconscious dickhead who's like, oh, Roman Reigns is probably going to walk around and just do Superman punches. He's going to piss me off. And Jey Uso is going to work his ass off and carry his fucking ass around the ring. No. No. Both men were incredible. Um, the storytelling aspect of this match is one of the best I've ever seen in the modern era. Uh, which leads me to my next hot take, which I'll drop in a moment. So this match had everything you wanted. The pacing was great. It was so... It was almost relaxed a little bit at the beginning. You know, 
he was very deliberate in everything he did run rounds. His uppercut, by the way, which has always been great, has become he's like haymaker uppercut, very similar to kind of Kane's one. He's monstrous now. That looks like a legitimate knockout heavyweight shot. Fucking excellent. Uh, he was wrestling topless, which is something that we don't get to see very often, and it doesn't sound like much, but the way he was dressed was much more like a, he looked like a Samoan street fighter. You know, he looked like a big boss from Street Fighter. He looked, you know, like Samoa's answer to Zangief in many ways. It was perfect. He looked perfect. Jey Uso comes down with the tribal chief, you know, the traditional kind of Samoan Islanders, um, you know, dress, so to speak, the floral necklace, decorative piece that he had around his neck, I really love that, and that played a really good part near the end of the match as well, it just, it felt so emotionally powerful, I was really invested, and I remember tweeting out and saying on, at WrestlePlug, that if Jey Uso somehow won, I would probably burst into tears. And this match had that feeling for me. I don't know why it just hit me in the feels. Anyone who knows me, even slightly, will know that Uso's are my favourite wrestlers. Probably in the world now. At least of the modern era. I think they're the greatest tag team of the modern era. I think that in the last three or four years, they have been by far and away the standouts of WWE in everything that they've done, from the quality of the way they've turned to the quality of their matches as well, totally redefining what it means to be tag team champions. So it was very strange at first to see Jey Uso on his own, thinking, oh God, what's, what's going on here, you know? But he comes through when you want him most. And... That's what's so special about the Usos, is that even when they're separated, you know that they'll be able to deliver something that most people on that card can't. Jey Uso had one of the best singles matches I've seen in recent memory. Full stop. And we're talking about a guy who's a predominantly attacking guy. This The talking during this match, the storytelling, Roman Reigns was fucking incredible in this match. There's actually two hot takes I have. So here's the first of the other two. Because obviously I've already dropped one. So I've got three all, three all in all uh, when it comes down to it. Uh, one being that vignette, obviously. The second one is Roman Reigns. For me, this is his best match ever. Which is going to shell shock a lot of people. For me, he has never had a better match. This had everything. Oh, the quality of the wrestling, the storytelling, the high impact. This was a fight. There wasn't a humongous amount of wrestling, admittedly. But it doesn't have to be, sometimes. Finally, we found that perfect place for Roman Reigns to sit. And he almost felt so menacing and evil. But in a understanding way, you know. This tradition that came with it. You know, you will say that I'm the tribal chief and this will end. Take your payday. You know, I run this. Like, the fact that he was, he's very much buying into the hype that some people always thought, which was that he's the face of the company. It was so well done. And the emotional aspect of this match, you know, especially at the end. Um, Jey Uso's like, you know, he, he, he's relentless. He won't stay down. He's... 
refusing. He's even laughing at Roman Reigns at one point, which is so well done. And Reigns is adamant, you will tell me I'm the tribal chief. You know, otherwise this beating will continue. He's even saying to the referee, I've been beating his ass my whole fucking life. Don't you dare fucking tell me what to do. It was so good. Roman Reigns projected his character magically. It was so good. Roman Reigns has never had a stronger moment in his entire career. And, you know, it was so cool to know that his own flesh and blood, his family, are what kind of brought it out of him, ultimately. From the video package to the way the Usos react. And, of course, Jimmy comes down, essentially, to throw the towel in. And you think, is he going to throw it in? Is he not? And he's like, and Jay's like, please don't, please don't, don't do it. Forget about him. Forget about him, Usos. And eventually, like, he's just like, no, that's it. I can't take this. You know, Roman Reigns drags him back and he's volleying him into the floor. He's, you know, face washing him with his forearms. It's vicious. It looks vicious. And it, it made you feel emotional. But the match itself as well had so much in it. The low blow from the kick out. That's genius. I haven't seen that done before. I can't believe it. Like, you know, something fresh like that's so unique. Storytelling aspects, vehicles, plot devices, psychology. This was a standard bearer for what every main event should be going forward. There should be no excuse ever again from WWE or the guys who work in that company for how to put on a world-class main event. It was fucking incredible. I loved it. And at the end, I was genuinely moved you know, the way that Jimmy Uso sold it as well, so beautifully coming down, saying, is that what you want? Is this what you want? Like, it was so well done, that kind of, the emotion in his voice was supposed to be family. What are you doing? And Roman Reigns, you know, Paul Heyman kind of adorning him with that tribal chief, that garment over his neck, that, you know, that big floral kind of necklace, and him standing aloft as if, say, finally, I can, you know, I have the admittance from you you are finally my servants you are beneath me now you realize that i'm the chief i eat first i am the king of this table i am the chief i will eat before anybody else i sit at the fucking head of the table i make the decisions as to what we do as a family and it'll be interesting to see whether that's going to tie in later down the line it was great to see jimmy Uzo as well you know he's rehabbing his knee and he had his knee brace on and you know, he, what a performance. It just, everything worked. For me, it cemented Roman Reigns as a monstrous superstar. This, I'm finally willing to admit after this performance, he can be the best wrestler, the best superstar, the big, huge superstar face of the company, that kind of guy. And it just further cemented for me to use those legacy as well in everything that they've done and the way they've changed and how they've evolved and this is one of the masterpieces. This is a real feather in their cap. You know, when their legacy is all done, when it's all said and told, I hope that people will look back at this moment. They'll look at this moment. So do you remember when the Usos put their heart and soul into this storyline to help push Roman just that little bit further and get him to where he belongs? Absolutely phenomenal. And that leaves me with my final uh, hot take. For me, this match was five stars. I believe this to be a world-class match and I found zero faults with it. And for that reason, I have to give it five stars. I thought it was utterly, utterly phenomenal. I really did. And 
when it was all said and done, it was worth watching it just for that alone. But the WWE title match was great. The opener for the IC title, the ladder match, was an instant classic as well. You had two four-star classics and you had a five-star classic, you know, one for the ages in that main event. So for me, you know, I thought this was a great show actually. Really good. Very difficult to kind of, you know, really feel a lot of it when you're trying to watch your basketball team and there's NFL in the background and all sorts but yeah when it was all said and done this was fucking great man this was this was really fucking good I'm really really happy that I bothered to stay up and you know put myself through it to watch this because it was great uh, before we close the show uh, Jay Miller the good brother you might know him he has co-hosted before at Jay Miller 419 let's check to the social media so Jay Miller dropped me a message via WrestlePlug to let me know what he was thinking about the show um interesting this uh, so far this has been hot garbage now admittedly he did send this before some of the main events so it'd be interesting to see what he thinks later down the line and if he does have any more because i know he'll be listening you're welcome to send them to us and if you guys are listening if you have any thoughts of your own maybe you completely disagree with my assessment of clash of champions you are more than welcome to send us a message and let us know what you guys thought and we'll share them on this week's state of wrestling address when hopefully carl wilkinson will get his lazy canadian ass back on the fucking pod um, but yeah, Jay Miller, uh, he checked in very quickly just to say, so far this has been hot garbage. A botched ending to the Prophets and Andrade, Gaza. Uh, that's down to the injury. Uh, Nikki can't even compete, so we get Asuka. Seriously, the only good thing, and my match of the night was the IC title match. How smart is Sammy? Not only handcuffing Jeff's ear to a freaking ladder, but also handcuffing AJ. Fucking priceless. Hit me up if you need another for the review. Bit late for that now, mate. Sorry, bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I really should read those things beforehand, but I like the organic reactions. Yeah, no, I, I agree um, to a certain extent. I wouldn't say hot garbage, I think that's a bit harsh. Um, and I'd be very interested to see what you think of the last two matches, because I thought they were fucking incredible. So they really were worth the entrance fee alone, which, of course, there was not one, because nobody can see them. Um, which reminds me, if you are... Uh, being involved if you're being dragged into another lockdown maybe like i know some countries are if you are struggling you know with the coronavirus and that don't forget the wrestleplug is always open for business it's always open for a chat uh at wrestleplug on social media and of course wrestleplug at gmail.com if you've got any thoughts maybe you want to send me some questions maybe you want to have a chat maybe you're struggling or whatever at home maybe you're on your own and things are a little bit difficult you don't have the ability to socialize with you because you're self-isolating for whatever reason um we're available and we've got a huge backlog of podcasts that you can check out interviews and the like and hopefully a lot more coming as well um but yeah at this point i've got to be honest i'm doing a wrestleplug because it helps give me a creative outlet and it's nice to give something there and even if only five or ten people are checking in it's good to know that some people have something to look forward to and it's always nice when you get the odd message from people saying oh i'm really excited to see you know what you thought of this or you know i've, I've listened to this latest podcast that gave me a smile in a difficult week it's kind of what a podcast is for man you know i uh i do have some very fiery opinions and i don't mind upsetting a few people but ultimately i do care about people and i hope that everybody can look after themselves in a difficult time. So just remember, WrestlePlug is available. Uh, if you do have any money lying around, if you have some change, you'd like to give us a kickback uh, to help pay the bills and look after us, because you know I'm not going to lie, as an independent artist, it's incredibly difficult. And um, you know, it's, it's not as it's not 
bad enough yet I have to sleep in my car but you never know um, but you know if you do have any money lying around or a kickback or even if you just want to share the link it would really help us out knowing prowrestlingtees.com slash wrestleplug you can get yourself a t-shirt and if you're in the UK and you don't want to pay the exorbitant custom charges the postage and packaging that they will obviously charge you being from North America you can go to wrestleplug.bigcartel.com and you'll have access to our t-shirts on there as well. So there you go. No excuse. Uh, wherever you are in the world, you can get your hands on a t-shirt. If Big Cartel can't do it, I guarantee you Bro Wrestling Tees can. And just so you guys know, um, every single t-shirt that is bought, I try and give a little bit of a kickback to you as well. So not only will you get the awesome gift of a WrestlePlug t-shirt, you will also get a cheeky little bit of art from me. And as you've probably seen from my social media... I do happen to be a dab hand when it comes to the old artistry. So hopefully you're agreeing. Hopefully you're enjoying it. Uh, and you're checking out our content. And also, if you want something a little bit extra, completely for free, go to our YouTube channel. YouTube, of course, dot com slash WrestlePlug. And we've started doing watch-alongs, myself and Carl Wilkinson, and that will no doubt help while away the time. And there's also some extra little cheeky content on there. We're breaking down the podcast into little sound bites, a little bit more manageable if you can't be bothered to sit here and listen to me chat for 40, 45 minutes or, God forbid, two hours like the State of Wrestling Address was last week. But, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening. It's been a joy to chat about Clash of Champions. Hopefully this has helped give you guys a break, and hopefully this is a good way for you to start your working week. From myself, Aaron X, I'll catch you very soon for more content from the WrestlePlug.